Our sermon text for today is from Zechariah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. You can find this on your paper Bibles in um, page 462. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch." For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Well, it is the fourth week of Advent, or not the fourth week of Advent, it's the second week of Advent. We got four weeks total. These are the four weeks that are leading up to uh, Christmas. And these are, it's a time, Advent is a time when we are supposed to reflect back on the Messiah's coming, but also to look ahead to the Messiah's return. And that name, Messiah, that word, you probably hear it frequently if you're in church, it means the anointed one. The Greek version of the word Messiah is Christ. And so Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. Now that term anointed, if you look back in the Old Testament and start to read through it, you realize there are three different anointed roles in the Old Testament. There are prophets, there are priests, and there are kings. But Jesus doesn't fit clearly into any one of those categories. Jesus is not just a prophet. He wasn't just a priest. He wasn't just a king. But he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. And what you find is, as you read through the New Testament, as you understand what our salvation is about, is that Jesus really is all of those things. That the Messiah, the anointed one, is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And that's what we're studying right now in Advent. We're looking at how Jesus is the ultimate prophet, how he's the ultimate priest, and how he is the ultimate king. And today we're looking at that second category. We're looking at Jesus, the true and better priest. Hopefully what we'll see as we look at this passage is that we need a true and better priest. We need a priest. And that's where we're going this morning. Why do we need a priest? Why do we need Jesus? as the true and better priest in our lives. And here's what we're going to say. One, because we are covered in filth. Two, because only the sacrifice of Jesus can make us clean. And three, because only a living priest can intercede for us. 
So let's jump into it. Let's find out what that's all about. What I said is the first reason we need a priest is because we are covered in filth. We're living in one of those moments right now where it seems like everybody's secrets are coming out. Right? Every single day we read a story of some new person who is being exposed for their sexual misconduct. And in a lot of these cases, you may have noticed, these are things that didn't just happen yesterday. They're things that may have happened decades ago. Things they may have forgotten about. Things they may have thought that they had hidden forever. But now, all of a the sudden, they're out in the open, and these men are paying the consequences for their actions. No secret is safe. Meanwhile, in Washington, we have the former head of the FBI investigating our uh, our president and all the people around him and this kind of question is looming over our country you know what are they going to find he's rummaging through these old documents and all these old emails and there is this sense that no secret is safe but all of those things still seem pretty far off from us right we read about them in the news we scroll through them on our phones but up till now those aren't people we know who are being exposed. It's certainly not us that are having to answer those kinds of questions. But what if it was? What if your secrets were exposed today? Maybe you're saying, well, I don't have any secrets. I, I've got nothing to hide. I hope that's true. I hope none of you are, are sitting on some tremendous scandal. I mean, maybe you are. I don't know. But what about those other secrets? What if you found out right now that in just a moment I had somebody who was going to walk through the door and they were going to pass out a sheet that showed your web history for the last month on it? What would you say if, if someone was going to come in here and pass out your, the information from how you spent your money this month? What if I told you that there was going to be a minute-by-minute -minute report of the ways you've spent your time? Or what if I said, you know, I'm going to turn on the projector here and all of your thoughts are going to be scrolling down so people can read them for the rest of the service. How would you feel? How would you feel if all of a sudden the things that are hidden became seen? Well, that is the scene we're dealing with this morning. That is what's happening in Zechariah chapter 3. If you don't know, Zechariah, it's an Old Testament book. It's one of the small ones. It's, it's a minor prophet. And most of the book of Zechariah is full of visions, a series of visions given to the people of Israel that are meant to show them some truth that might encourage them about who God is. And this passage that we just read is a story of the high priest standing in the presence of the Lord. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament sacrificial system, you might realize that this scene is a scene that only would take place once a year. The moment when the high priest would come into the presence of God only happened one day of the year. It happened on the Day of Atonement. And this was a huge time where the, the priest would go into the innermost temple, the innermost section of the temple, into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And because this was such a significant moment, because this was such a big deal, there was a huge preparation that went before it. 
So it wasn't like the high priest just kind of strolled into work that morning. But no, they secluded him by himself for a whole week. So that there was no chance that he might accidentally touch something or someone or pass by somewhere that might make him unclean. So he was quarantined. And then the night before the sacrifice would take place, he would spend the whole night awake, reading through the scriptures, praying, trying to purify his own soul. And then on the day of the atonement, he didn't put on his normal uniform, but instead he would bathe himself and he would put on pure white linen from head to toe. And before he would make the sacrifice for the people, he would walk in and he would make a sacrifice for his own sins. And then after that sacrifice, he would walk out and he would bathe again. And he would change his clothes again and put on another set of pure white linen. And then he would enter into the, before the Lord again and he would make a sacrifice for the sins of all the priests. And after that sacrifice, he would walk out and he would bathe a third time. And he would put on white linens a third time. And then finally then he would enter into the presence of the Lord. And he would make a sacrifice to atone for the sins of all the people. And you know the whole time this was happening. He wasn't off alone by himself. But there was a crowd of people standing while he went through all of these steps. As he would bathe behind the screen. They were there to observe him. To pray for him. To, to cheer him on. Because he was representing them he was the, the pure one representing them before the Lord. He had to be absolutely clean. Now take that knowledge and let's read verse 3. It says, by the way, if you need a Bible, take one of these. Take it home with you. We would love everyone to have a copy of God's word. Verse 3, Zechariah chapter 3. It says, now Joshua the high priest was standing before the angel of the Lord clothed with filthy garments and you need to know that word filthy it's not just dirty that word is filth that he was covered in in excrement that he was covered in urine that he was absolutely and utterly defiled as he's standing in the presence of the lord this vision is meant to shock you how would this be possible how could this guy get in there like that well because this is a vision and in this vision, Zechariah is seeing the Holy of Holies not only as an altar for sacrifice, but he's seeing the Holy of Holies as a courtroom. He's seeing the Holy of Holies as a place where the high priest is coming to stand trial. He's standing trial for his sins and for the sins of all the people. So when Zechariah sees this priest covered in filth, he is seeing the priest as God sees him. Not only the external things. He's not just seeing his clothing. But he's seeing the internal reality of the people of God. And in case you're wondering if this is really a bad thing, right? Is it a big deal to be covered in excrement while you're standing in the presence of the Lord? We just read Deuteronomy. And thankfully Deuteronomy shows us all kinds of little obscure laws we may not know about. One of them says that when you, need to, when you need to go to the bathroom and you're living in the camp of Israel, it says what you got to do is you got to go outside the camp, you got to dig a hole, you do your thing, and then you cover it up and you go back inside the camp. And here's what he says. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give you up your enemies before you, therefore your camp must be holy. 
so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. They, it says, so that God won't turn away from you, you need, to, you need to cover up your excrement outside the camp. And here this guy is covered in excrement in the presence of God. He's standing in this holy courtroom, covered in filth. And he's not alone. Verse 2 tells us, verse 1 and 2 tell us that Satan is standing there as well. Satan is the prosecuting attorney in this courtroom. He is there to accuse this priest. He is there to prove his guilt before the Lord. And uh, one commentator, he kind of hilariously understated this, saying he has a good case. (laughs) Here he is, red-handed, caught guilty, covered in filth. But here's the point. The point for us is, if the high priest looks like this, If the high priest looks like this on the inside, then this is what we all look like when we stand before the Lord. Sure, we might look clean on the outside. We might keep up nicely. But on the inside, we're undefiled. On the inside, we are defiled. We are unacceptable. God sees all of our secrets. There is nothing that is hidden from him. This passage shows us that you have been found out. That you are filthy. That you are covered in sin. That's the first point. The second reason why we need a high priest. First, it's because we're filthy. But secondly, it is because only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ can make us clean. The point of this passage is not trying to show us that Joshua is a bad high priest. As far as we know, he was a perfectly fine priest. He was a decent guy. The point of this is that all that external stuff, all that washing, all those changing of clothes, all of that external ritual could not do anything to clean him inside. In the book King's Cross, uh, it's a book by Tim Keller, he points out that, you know, for modern people, we get that, right? We get that outside rituals can't clean us inside. We get that that religious stuff doesn't change us on the inside. Of course, right? Of course that can't fix us. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we still try to do this kind of thing. If we're being honest with ourselves, we still try to cleanse ourselves by working from the outside in. We instinctively approach our sin by focusing on our actions and not on our hearts. We say, well, if I do this thing, then God's going to be pleased with me. Or maybe we say it the other way, if I don't do this, then there's no way God's going to accept me. If I don't do this, then there's no way God's going to be willing to listen to my prayers or accept me in his presence. Whatever it is, if I don't read my Bible today or if I don't repent with the perfect amount of anguish instead of guilt. If I, if I don't serve at the homeless shelter or, or go out to this community event and love my neighbors. If I don't do these things. When we're working from the outside in, what we're really saying is that our performance matters. 
our performance makes us more likely to get God's attention. But there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves look good to the Lord. To the rest of the world, this high priest, he would have looked super holy. He was dressed in white. He took three baths that day. <laughs> he was the best of the best. But the prophet Isaiah says, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags in the presence of God. We cannot clean ourselves from the outside in. But maybe that's not where you are. Maybe you're not that kind of religious person. Maybe you're not so spiritual. But you know, Christians aren't the only people who are trying to do this. Christians are not the only ones who try to clean themselves from the outside in. There's a, uh, there are non-religious ways to do this as well. Uh, Keller suggests that we may not be feeling guilt over our sin as a society. But what we do feel, that uncleanness we do feel is our inconsequentiality. We feel how small we are. And we try to clean that. We try to hide that. We feel our insignificance. We feel our impermanence and our smallness. And so we, we put on makeup to make ourselves look younger. We work out to hope that maybe we'll live longer. And we don't just pursue success, but we pursue greatness. We pursue fame. We're all hoping that our names are going to be remembered long after we're gone. There's a friend of mine, and he is currently raising his three children as a single parent. And he is unemployed. And he's not unemployed because there are no jobs to be found. But he's unemployed because he's, he thinks of himself first and foremost as a writer, which he is. But when you talk to him about why he won't find a job just to pay his bills, just to help pay for the basic needs of his family, uh, what he'll tell you is, well, that job, it's just too unimportant for me. I can't, he can't bear the thought of being just a dad who has just a regular job. Now, don't get me wrong. Art is important. I'm thankful for artists. I'm thankful for writers. I know that it's a struggle. Um, but it's one thing to be a starving artist... And it's another thing to be a starving child of an artist, right? When you ask him why he won't go out and just find some work and maybe do his writing in the spare time, he says, well, because I know that inside of me I've got one great Gatsby in there. I've got one catcher in the rye just waiting to be written. And when you examine that plea, you realize there's all kinds of, of weird stuff there. But first of all is this thought that it's not just that I need to create art. It's that I need to create timeless art. I need to be something bigger than I really am. To just be the dad to my kids is not enough. I need an identity. I need a name. I need to be remembered if I'm going to be significant. See, like many of us, he is working to cover up what he knows deep down, that we're inconsequential. He's working to run away from how brief and small his life really is. But we can't. 
Because that's who we are. Scripture says that we are dust. Psalm 90, it says, the years of our life are 70, or if we're lucky, 80. And their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. See, the hard truth is, it is impossible for us to change what's true deep down. It is impossible for us to clean ourselves from the outside in. We cannot do anything to transform what is fundamentally true about us. Putting on white linens, taking a bath, that stuff can't make us clean. That stuff can't make us holy. But look back at our passage. What page is this on? Anybody know? 462. Open up your Bibles to 462 if you got it. Zechariah chapter 3, it says in verse 4, And the angel of the Lord said to those who were standing there before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Skip down to verse 9. Or verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven facets, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Do you see what happened there? In this vision, God takes this filthy priest and he clothes him in clean and righteous robes. And then he says, I've done this for you right now, but one day I will send my servant. And he is going to once and for all, in a single moment, remove all the filth in this nation. Well, what's he talking about? He is talking about a real cleaning. He's talking about a cleaning that happens not from the outside in, but one that's going to take place from the inside out. He's talking about the fact that none of the sacrifices that we offer, none of the sacrifices that the priests offer, none of our efforts are ever enough. Well then, what's the point? If none of the sacrifices can make us clean... If none of those sacrifices were ever enough, why did God give us a priest in the first place? Why did he make these whole books full of rules and tell these people to do these sacrifices if really it was all for show? Well, Hebrews chapter 9 sheds some light on this. He says it's not because these Old Testament sacrifices really cleansed you, but it's because they pointed towards something else. These sacrifices all pointed towards the ultimate cleansing sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It says, when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. And then he says, the blood of goats and bulls the sprinkling of defiled persons, the ashes of a heifer, 
If they can sanctify the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, to purify our conscience from dead works, so that we could serve the living God. What this is telling us is that Christ was the true and greater high priest, because he was the one who offered the real sacrifice, the one that actually cleansed us. On the cross, Christ offered himself. That's what the sacrifice was. Christ wasn't a lamb without blemish, but he was actually sinless. He was spotless. He wasn't an animal standing in our place, but he was fully human. So he was a a perfect substitute for you on the cross. But not only that, he was fully God. So that he was able to stand up to the temptation that you can't stand before. He was able to conquer sin once and for all. Hebrews tells us it was through his sacrifice that everyone who trusted the Lord was made clean. It also tells us that we are made consequential because through that sacrifice we are welcomed into eternity. We are invited into the presence of God forever. We are made holy because through him... We're clothed in real righteousness, in the pure white robes of Jesus. God removes our iniquity. God removes our inconsequentiality, and he welcomes us into his holy presence. That's why we need a true and greater priest. Because that outside-in approach, it doesn't work. But when we repent of that stuff, When you turn away from those ways you are trying to wash yourselves externally, when you look to Jesus instead, then he'll cleanse you. He'll cleanse you within. So we need a high priest because only Jesus can cleanse us. And then thirdly, we need a high priest because only Jesus, the ever-living priest, can intercede for us. Okay, so I said that one of the roles of a priest is to offer the sacrifice. That's what the priest has to do. But the other important job of the priest was to be an intercessor. His job was to represent the people. He was to go in and stand before God on our behalf to represent us. And so that's something we really need to examine in this passage. In this passage, in this courtroom scene, Satan is standing as the accuser. Did you notice that? Satan is standing as the accuser as this priest enters the presence of the Lord. Now when you think about Satan, when you think about what he does, when you think about what his job is, what comes to your mind? What did you say? Father of lies. So deception, maybe? Uh... Sin, temptation, those are the kind of things that we associate with him. And those are true, that's all part of the the job description. But the word the Satan actually means the accuser. And I, I think that's a really helpful term for us because the primary work of Satan in the life of God's people is to do just that. It's to accuse. It's to stand there and tell you that you're unworthy. To tell you that you are unacceptable. 
The accuser stands to make you doubt whether God really wants to save you. He stands to remind you of your guilt, to remind you of your shame, to to show you that you don't belong in the presence of God. Think about this. Try to imagine this scene for a minute. Here is the high priest. This guy is devoted to the Lord. This guy has dedicated his whole life. He was trusting in the promises of God's redemption through a Messiah. But when he enters into the presence of the Lord, there is Satan right there to accuse him. There is Satan right there to expose his guilt. What about you? Can you relate to that? If you imagined yourself in the presence of God right now, what do you hear? What do you feel? Do you feel freedom to approach the Lord with joy? Or are you afraid of yourself? Are you able to approach him in in confidence? To cling to him in faith? Or are you consumed by the weight of your shortcomings? Are you shamed by that list of your failures and sins? Do you believe that the Lord welcomes you with delight? That he calls you his child? Or are you consumed with fear and inadequacy? Well, Romans 8 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans tells us that if we come trusting in the name of Jesus, then we have to come to God with confidence. Even when our secrets are exposed. Even when all those terrible things are known about us. Even though in that heavenly courtroom, Satan is standing there and he has an open and shut case against us. If Christ has paid for our sins... If you are trusting in him for your salvation, then that means the judge smiles on you. You see, in this story, Satan is there to accuse. You notice, it says he's there. But did you notice in the story, he doesn't speak. Before he has a chance to open his mouth, it tells us that that the Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? He says, isn't this my child who I have redeemed? He says, isn't this the woman that I have chosen as my own? Isn't this the man that I have made for myself? This is what what God says to you. I have made you clean. I have clothed you in pure linens and I do not permit Satan to say a word. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you know what? The book of Hebrews tells us it's even better than that. Because it tells us that the work that Jesus did for you, it didn't stop 2,000 years ago. It's not something that only happened a long time ago in history, but it tells us that it is ongoing. 
This high priest, what's his name? Somebody say it. It's Joshua, man. Pay attention. <laughs> this high priest, his name is Joshua. Joshua the high priest. But you know, Steve's right. In Hebrew, his name is Yeshua. Yeshua. You've heard that name before? As we look at this priest, Yeshua, with all his shortcomings, this priest, this dude who we've never really heard of, who's been dead for thousands of years, the New Testament reminds us of another Yeshua. The true and greater Yeshua who is coming. The one that Paul or whoever wrote about in Hebrews chapter 7. It says the former priests, those Old Testament priests, there were a lot of them. Because they were prevented by their death from continuing in office. But Jesus, Hebrews 7, holds his priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. And he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Because he always lives to make intercession for you. So that means for us, you hear this? That in that courtroom, not only is the judge smiling at you, but while Satan is standing there accusing you, prosecuting you, Jesus is there as your defense attorney. <laughs> Jesus is there as our ever-living defense, standing at the right hand of God. We do not serve a dead Savior, but a resurrected one. Amen, somebody. He is the great high priest who lives forever at the right hand of God to intercede for you. He is a permanent reminder to him. They're not having an argument. <laughs> he is a permanent reminder to the Father that justice has been paid. That there is no more wrath left for you. And I want to invite you to believe that today. I want to invite you to repent. To repent of all that false washing that you've been doing. And to believe that you are welcome in the presence of the Lord. Not because of the things you've done, but because of who he is. He is the true and greater high priest who has sacrificed himself for you. Who lives forever to intercede. And if you believe that, if you know that, it will change you. If you know that, he will change you. If you know him, his spirit will dwell in you and transform you. He will empower you to do these things, to come into the presence of the Lord, to pray. He will give you the ability to love and to serve. He will free you up from that fear that you're too small and that you don't matter. If you believe that today, he will enable you to live for him. Because we'll be living not to make ourselves clean, but because we have been cleaned. I want to invite you to that today as we, we come to this table. To recognize that he has done this for us, that, that we are headed into glory together. This eternal reality where there will be no one who is inconsequential. Where there will be no one who is unclean. I want to invite you now 
to join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this reality that you are the true and greater high priest. That you have made us clean. That you have washed us. Lord, you've given us what we don't deserve. Lord, as we sing to you now, Lord, would you warm our hearts? Would you draw us to you? And I pray for anyone who doesn't know you, anyone who's considering these things, anyone who feels too guilty to be here, Lord, would you show them that they are welcome to come to you if they come in faith? Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.